Hey there, friend. I'm Susan, and this is the Spark Chasers podcast, a series dedicated to the educational changemakers who embrace creativity, seek out challenges, and collaborate on solutions. This is a show for any educator looking to explore the creative side in the classroom, business, and life. So grab a cup of caffeine, your favorite flare pen, and let's chat about what's now and what could be next. Welcome back, my friends. So today we are continuing our interview series with our upcoming conference presenters. And by the way, if you have not already registered, be sure to do so over at artsintegrationconference.com. We have keynote speakers, Julie Andrews and Laura Bonanti. And today I'm going to be introducing you to one of our upcoming session presenters, Ruth Byrne. So Ruth is an art educator for 14 years and math nerd for life and uses concrete manipulatives in her early primary art classes to increase students' visual vocabulary and spatial sense and to facilitate storytelling in art. After a hiatus from formal education, her recent studies include digital storytelling and visible thinking at the National Gallery Teacher Institute and math education with NJCTL. She continually draws inspiration from podcasts and people alike. We are so excited to welcome Ruth to the podcast. All right, Ruth, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast today. It's great to have you here. Oh, it's great to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your work. Um, you know, I am just a teacher, quotes. I'm on this sort of journey to understand how kids brains really work and really support them in whatever their brains are doing at this moment. Um, you know, big listener of podcasts, big explorer. I'm currently looking a lot at Froebel's gifts and, and math in my art class in both with Froebel's gifts and other materials. Wow. Okay. So this is going to be the topic of your conference session, which I'm really excited about. So tell us a little bit about Froebel's gifts. Cause I'm sure lots of people are not aware of them. <laughs> Yeah, they might have had like a page in their pedagogy like class that they had in college, right. but it is one of those things that if I hadn't heard it on the podcast, I would have no clue what I was what I was uh, listening to here. So yeah, Froebel's Gifts is a series of tangible um, items and works, so activities that children can do that were invented in the 1800s. And Friedrich Froebel is credited as having invented kindergarten by inventing these tangible blocks and toys and things, the first educational toys. So those, um, those gifts that he created allowed very, very young children to kind of understand concepts uh, of whole and parts of a whole counting. It brought them really slowly, but creatively through the idea of the, the world as a place that you could make sense of and tell stories about and understand through real observation. So Friedrich Froebel's 1800s invented these cool, um, these cool toys basically that kids could play with and then structured a kindergarten around it. He kind of made a whole list of, you know, this is what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to introduce these gifts as well to keep it really conversational. Um, it was kind of cool recently. We were talking about the, how relationships are at the fore right now 
everybody's talking about how relationships with your students are the most important thing in your classroom. Mm -hmm. In these early manuals for kindergarten, it's all about, yes, really structured exploration of these gifts, but constantly conversing with the kids, talking to the kids, saying, kids, what do you see here? What are we talking about? Tell me a story and really understanding them through the gifts. Wow. So um, what's the difference between Froebel's gifts and something, an approach like Montessori, for example? Because I know a lot of people know about Montessori. Right. So they're very similar. Um, Froebel's gifts are hyper-focused and um, specifically about these sort of math concepts, although they do get into ideas about community and um, uh, physical space as well. So, but it is quite maths oriented. Whereas Montessori of course has programs to get you into the language and the social studies and world uh, studies as well. They have in Montessori, all of your, um, uh, what do you call them? The life works, right? Okay. Works of life, right? Yeah. Where you're pouring from one cup to another, those sort of uh, practical life, there it is. Those practical life works are this beautiful extension Whereas Froebel's is almost like if you were just in the math room of a Montessori classroom, it's a lot like being there. Gotcha. Gotcha. So much more hands-on and play-based, but done so within the math lens, right? Okay. So you're going to focus, I love the title of your session, which is Froebel's Gifts in the Concrete Classroom. What can we expect in that session? I mean, I know what we can expect in that session, but let everybody else know, because I think yeah. I will tell you just as a sidebar, as we were, as our whole team was kind of reviewing your session and, and going through it, it was one of the only ones where we were literally all taking notes at the same time. And we were watching the screen in anticipation of what you were going to say next. Cause I was like, oh, oh my gosh, so good. So tell us what we're going to expect. Well, thank you. Both what I was going to say and what I was going to bring up because I have my little gifts. I have my little blocks, my cubes and my rectangles. It's like having a little present to show everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so that is kind of what you're going to get. I'm so stoked about it. But at the, the conference recording, we'll have an overview, general overview of all the gifts that one could use in your classroom um, in the sequence that they're used in the traditional kindergarten, but certainly they could be pulled from. So you get to meet the cubes, you get to meet the rectangular prisms and the triangles and the sticks and the sewing and the line drawing. And you get to go through all those items and kind of connect to what would already work with your classroom and maybe what's new that you could totally grab and put into your classroom uh, that you didn't have there already. I know a lot of the uh, kindergarten teachers I have already give out blocks of some sort, definitely the counting cubes that connect, everybody knows those ones, right? Mm -hmm. um, so they have those out already. And this gives them an opportunity to say, okay, well, I have these objects. Can I curate them so that the kids aren't just playing with a billion cubes, but are actually exploring a math concept while they're using them independently even? Um, so yeah, you get the overview of all the gifts, get to see what's already working in your classroom or what could you bring into your classroom that would help you with storytelling and math. Um, yeah, and, and a, a little history of Froebel's as well. So you yeah. can get a little, dip your toes in a couple of resources as well, but you can find more history um, referencing back to that wonderful 99% Invisible podcast that I was, that brought me into this world. And then also to some gorgeous books that you can get 
about building the toys and, and making them out of wood or finding ways to, to construct them on your own, even if you don't have your wood shop all set up. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're, we're actually going to give away some of those books as just random giveaways throughout the event because we just loved them just from your session. I was like, oh, this needs to be in the classrooms of anybody who's using this process. So awesome. Absolutely. Um, I'm excited about it. So, so here's a question that I know we're going to get because um, we're going to hear from some educators who are like, well, it sounds like this is just for kindergarten or just for the littles. So how can we maybe modify some of Frobel's gifts into older students for, for teaching older students? Yeah, you're right. A lot of this, I've had my great successes with the little kids because it was a kindergarten program. And so that's when I went ahead and was like, oh, well, I'll do it with the kindergartners. Then, you know, I started it last few years. And, and when we had to close down the schools, we didn't get through the whole program. So we went to the first graders with the same objects and got just more out of it. Even when we started sewing with our first graders, now we're still in the little ages, aren't we? So when we had, came back and we had our our sixth graders exploring things as well, I knew they didn't have the full breadth of their math curriculum from fifth grade. So when we went to make angles or in our mandalas or reflect things in our mandalas that we were creating, we were able to pull these toys out, right? <laughs> and because they've never gotten this in kindergarten, those activities, those concrete activities where you have the objects in your hands were equally valuable to the older kids as they would have been for the younger kids. So if you've got a group of eighth graders or 10th graders that never got to take two sticks and move them from acute to obtuse angles, they're going to benefit from the exact same activity that you had your kindergartners do if you were using Froebel's gifts and examining angles. But you can get more fidelity, right? So instead of just perpendicular and parallel, those kids could be examining the whole breadth of angles that you can accomplish with two sticks next to each other. Um, <laughs> so, oh, that was a lot of oh, 360 degrees, right? Um, they also were really cool with the, um, the works of beauty are really quite complex. So each of these gifts has works of life that you can make. So you can make things look like, oh, a train from real life, or you can make things that are abstract, beautiful designs. And the works of beauty are tricky and my older kids really connected with those because it was more like building a mosaic if you were using cubes, or it was more like creating the outline of perimeter of, of, a, um, of a building and finding its area when they were using the rectangular prisms. And it was more like constructing these very complex shapes when they were using their triangles, not just a trapezoid or a, a square, but, but going beyond that and getting stars and formations like that. So the older kids can just go further with these gifts and they can also get some of those concepts in their hands rather than just, you know, getting them first off with numbers. So like, the angles were a huge one. Um, the complex shapes was a big one and fractions was a big one. When you are working fractions with big kids, they, benefit just as much from a fraction wheel as a little kid does. Um, so definitely starting with something in their hands and then you can give them numbers and then they can start thinking in their brains. Yeah. Well, and, and I think for anybody who's been intimidated by math, 
you know, even adults, I, I mean, you ask the adults in a room, how many of you loved math as a kid? And I, I think you might get a spattering of hands, but not too many. And so, and where did, where is it where people begin to get frustrated with math? It's fractions, right? It's, it's in that aspect at grade three, when we start to really look at fractions and understanding numerators and denominators. And if you can have something concrete to put in their hands, I think even adults <laughs> can benefit from that in order to visualize and interpret and understand the process behind the fractions, right? So truly, you know, everything we needed to learn, we learned in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> and when you have the foundation early on, that can help, but it doesn't hurt to revisit, right? So if you learned your, your fractions with your Froebel's gifts in kindergarten, third grade, you're starting to put a number to it. It's like, ah, I got to get my toys out again so I can break them in two and in four and then really understand what your numerator denominator is and all that. Yeah, it was funny. I was thinking of kind of just the math that we have through history. And our first math is just, you know, the counting numbers or our whole numbers or whatever. And those all are so conversational. Even when you get into like fractions a little bit, that's all something that you can tell a story about because those were all numbers that we made to tell people how much of something we had or how much we owed somebody else or how much got taken away. Like that's just so naturally conversational. It comes up so easily for the kindergartens and for the, the older kids as well, even just more complicated. But yeah, once you get to fractions, it's like, well, why would I cut my sheep in half or whatever? When you have your toys, when you have your toys out, you can really figure out, you know, well, why would I ever need to know how many parts of a whole I had? Well, what if I had a toy that broke into eight parts? I would need to know, right? So yeah, really more conversational, like all their first learning is like all our first initial math is. Yeah. And I think you bring up a great point about storytelling because, you know, it's the oldest art form, I think, with, uh, with people just being able to, we learn through story, right? And we don't often think about storytelling and math. So talk to me a little bit how you use storytelling and math as a natural pairing with visual art. Absolutely. So with the kids involved in play, you know, involved in construction and building things, they're talking to themselves absolutely in their own brains or they're talking to their neighbor. And when the teacher can come around and drop in on that conversation, um, as they're building, they're using a lot of those you know, both there's telling a story like my little princess is climbing the tower, but also like this tower is much bigger than the other tower, which is only two blocks high. Well, the teacher can say, well, how much higher is the tall tower from the small tower and build up their math concepts as they're just telling a story. So stories, like you said, that's how you learn. It's how you kind of express why math matters. It's how you express the differences between things and the similarities and that kind of comparison with these tangible building tools in a kid's hand, it just is math. It couldn't not be math. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's amazing. So when you're working with them in visual art, now is this, is this happening in their classroom? Is it happening in the art room or is it both? How does that work for you? 
currently have it just in the art room. I'm piloting how this works in the art room. And just so everybody knows, it works awesome. It's the best. (laughs) (laughs) And we're starting to, to kind of lend in. As this year, I've been on a cart and been in other people's classrooms using the gifts in other people's classrooms. They're starting to see, that's cool. Oh, can I borrow those? Or you're doing sewing with the kids. Let's do a sewing craft. And and now I know how to, you know, get them in order where we perforate first and then we sew. Um, So we are kind of naturally now that border is being blurred and we're able to pass those materials back and forth. This is something that absolutely, you know, formally we ought to bring those eight cubes over to the, to the kindergarten teachers in their very first you know, days of school. And we absolutely should bring those eight rectangles and teach them how to kind of curate those materials they either already have or the ones that I can bring them mm-hmm. so that they are already in a set that allows the kids to do that kind of comparison in a controlled environment that they're getting those comparisons. Instead, if you give a kid a thousand blocks, they're gonna play, but are they really you know, working within a whole, maybe not unless they can count to a thousand. Um, but if you give them a set of, and then they're fine, but if you can give them a set of eight, can they work within that whole and understand it as a whole much easier? So curation is a huge part of this that we're definitely going to work a lot in the next few years with our kindergarten groups. Yeah. Well, and I think you're doing organically what we share with educators all the time is best practice when it comes to arts integration and with STEAM in that you're not telling, you're showing, you're kind of organically inviting classroom teachers in to see like, here's what's what's happening. And, you know, I'm a big believer that if people can come into a classroom and see or watch another teacher and what they're doing, you know, the ideas start to fire in your brain and you start to make connections on, oh, I could use that here and oh, I can use that there. And that's really the power of integration, no matter what you're using, is being able to make those connections and then facilitate that with your kids. So I think the process that you're using is so wonderful because it is, it's inviting them in. You're not telling them, here's one more thing you got to do. It's exciting for them to see that, right? Totally. I mean, it couldn't have been, I'm just thrilled to be in their classroom, which you wouldn't normally hear, you know, oh, I love being on a card with my art stuff everywhere and falling off in the hallways. But it has been absolutely thrilling to go into their classrooms and both see what they're up to and be like, oh my gosh, like this really does fit. I read the standards and they fit, but now I can see they have their counting cubes out and they're counting to eight. It's the perfect day for this. Um, It's been amazing to go in there it's really a, a weirdly awesome experience this year with all the constraints that there have been and all the weirdness that there's been. It has been the best pressure cooker for creativity in my curriculum. And I think for a lot of other teachers curriculum as well. Wow. That's so powerful. I love that. The best pressure cooker for creativity. Cause you're right. Creativity happens when we are constrained. Oftentimes that's when we have the biggest creative leaps, right? So what a wonderful experience for your teachers and for your kids this year. That's amazing. Isn't it just a beautiful, like a beautiful mirror of the gifts, right? We're constraining them to eight blocks. That seems mean, but it makes them creative. So yeah, I'm constrained to like staying in this one spot or going to the classrooms, but it really helps. Yeah. So I'm curious, um, the, your background, how did your background in math 
and digital storytelling and visual art lead you to this kind of an approach? Absolutely. So the, um, the maths background, I am one of those people who are like, I loved math. And <laughs> I recently started studying to um, get a certification in math education as well. So then I can just kind of get out there and see what's up, um, what's happening in the upper grades classrooms, what's happening with higher level math as well. Um, and when I started getting into that education, really wonderful program at NJCTL, uh, New Jersey Center for Teaching and Learning, they really focus a lot on having something concrete, even for older grades. They're doing algebra class, right, with these concrete manipulatives, then giving them some sort of, you know, uh, representational stuff, their numbers or whatever it is, or pictures, get it 2D. And then they really get them into their abstract thinking. They really talk about supporting the kids where they're at through their peer circle. Another thing that was like, oh, well, they're doing that in Froebel's Gifts. When I heard about that, that's how it worked out there. You know, the kids can tell each other, well, this is how I made my locomotive or this is how I made my house and model it for them right there in front of them. They don't need a teacher to dive in and, and show them how to make the house. Their peers can do it. Yeah. Um, so a lot of peer teaching was in that same program. And that really made me recognize Froebel's Gifts as the opportunity that it was, where I would have been like, oh, that sounds really cool. Let me just log that one in the back. Um, knowing that it was going to bring out the storytelling in kids, which is something, you know, art can tell a story. We always teach that one. Knowing that it was bringing out storytelling in kids provoked me to make my first set of cubes. <laughs> my first set of cubes. And even I started with those foam cubes that you can buy as math manipulatives as well. Started with those, said, let's see where it goes, you know? And then it was like, well, this actually is quite successful. This is getting new stories out of the kids. It doesn't require them to have fine motor skills. So they don't have to be good drawers, quote unquote. Um, but you can still access those imaginations and the stories that they want to tell. So having done a lot of digital storytelling with my older groups as well, and having constantly done storytelling with my younger groups in a traditional art classroom, knowing that I could add one beautiful object that would extract stories from kids who didn't have success on the computer, didn't have success with drawing. They had another mode that they could use, another tool they could use to find success. Wow. That's, I think that's key. And I also, I'm struck by the fact that it sounds like your passion point was right at the intersection of these components. And you just kind of found the niche that you needed to unlock everything for your, your students, but also for you as a teacher, which I think is really empowering, right? Um, Cause I'm, you all can't see this, but I'm watching her face and she is smiling the entire time because she's just, you're filled with joy. I'm so psyched say. about this. I am so, so excited to share this. Absolutely. It, yeah. It's thrilling to get this kind of inspiration and to be able to share it with people. And it's absolutely thrilling to have this gift to make a little Froebel's joke there. Yeah. This gift, you know, just placed on your lap. You hear it on the radio. Podcasts are wonderful. Shout out to podcasts. We're on one, right? So yeah, it's thrilling to just hear something and say, this could work. Give it a shot. You never know. Yeah, absolutely. So I always end with one last question for everybody. What do you think 
is the most important thing that educators could walk away with from this year? Awesome question. I think it's what we just referred to earlier, right? We talked about how this is such a high pressure environment this year. Maybe not from, from our normal pressures like testing or the state or your administration. Everybody's kind of like, oh, you know, we'll give you a little bit of a pass this year. But the pressure of like, I have to do things completely differently this year gave us an opportunity to really be creative about how we taught our curriculum and give ourselves kind of the opportunity, kind of this sort of free pass to say, well, it's not going to be like it always was. Mm -hmm. So how can I still give the kids a chance to express themselves the way they always did in this brand new way, uh, in a way that works with going into classrooms, having minimal supplies, not having your cleanup sink, whatever it is, this is so accessible and so easy to clean up <laughs> that it was, uh, you know, what I wanted to take away from this year and what I got from this year was it, you know, being creative is your ticket to success in any environment, high pressure or low pressure and being flexible and being able to make those creative choices on the fly is really what I got out of this year. Wow. Wow. And with that, thank you so much, Ruth. This was an amazing interview. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm really looking forward to your session in July. Gosh, it was a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, check that off your list, my friends. You just finished another episode of the Spark Chasers podcast. If you want more, head over to artsintegration.com forward slash Spark Chasers for show notes, a space to tell me what you thought of today's show, and links to what we talked about today. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. This helps others find the show so we can all grow and learn together. Can't wait to get together again soon.